AviationPros.com is the portal website for AMT, airport business, and ground support worldwide magazines. Visit daily for breaking news, industry blogs, and insightful articles from our magazine's editorial team. And don't forget to sign up for our publication's daily e-newsletters. It's all at AviationPros.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Aviation Pros Podcast. I'm Joe Petrie, Editor-in-Chief Airport Business Magazine. After months of federal gridlock, the CARES Act expired October 1st, leaving American airports and airlines in the lurch as monetary lifelines are now gone. Thousands of layoff notices have been issued, and the industry has entered uncharted territory. I spoke with former FAA Associate Administrator for Airports and current Managing Director and Senior Counsel for Clark Hill, Eduardo Angeles, about what this means and how the industry can move forward. Well, thank you for speaking with me today. The first question I have for you, now that the CARES Act has expired and the layoffs have started to be issued, have we crossed the point of no return with uh, how the airline industry is going to look going forward? Um Honestly, I've uh, basically come to the conclusion that we had crossed the point of no return back in March. Um, I I don't necessarily believe that our industry uh, in aviation, in the aviation industry, will ever be the same. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer that this is really quite a shift in how we think about aviation in the grand scheme of it all. Um, you know, if you think of 9-11 as it relates to the impact of that uh, tragic uh, terrorist act, um, we had to reconfigure all of our airports where you had uh, to put all of the, uh, you know, uh, actual security uh, pre-boarding as opposed to the time where you could remember that meters and greeters can go all the way to the gate. and bid farewell to grandma and grandpa uh, and wave goodbye at the at the bridge. Um, and since 9-11, obviously that has completely changed. And the new normal subsequent to 9-11 is we know how to pack our bags. We know what we can take and can't take in terms of liquids and the exercise of what we need to do in order to go through post-security. This is the kind of shift that's going to occur, I believe, in the aviation industry post pandemic. Uh, We're going to have a huge shift in terms of touchless technology, uh, the innovation, the kinds of things in terms of just care uh, of cleanliness at airports and in the aircrafts. Um, I don't think we will ever go back to what we considered uh, in January or or latter part of last year to the normal pre-pandemic. Um, we're going to have to do things differently. This may be the first pandemic we've suffered through as a world in modern times, but it won't be the last because the one thing aviation has done uh, as, a, as, as the world uh, gets closer is it allows us to be able to have a much smaller footprint because of flight, because of aviation. You can go from international travel into the United States domestically in a much a smoother and, and easier way, which also means that you can transfer all kinds of other viruses and diseases and things of this nature. So we have to be forward thinking in terms of how we address aviation and aviation travel uh, and recalibrate. Uh, 
I, I believe that we need to take a look at it from a macro perspective and define aviation for us as a country and then try to then figure out uh, what are the things that we need to implement. There are definitely lessons learned uh, from this particular uh, pandemic, uh, things that could have been done from a preparedness perspective at the federal level and uh, things that could have been done better and uh, in terms of the, the spread and the contact tracing and in, in terms of the actual um, testing and our preparedness for it. I don't see a time where you'll be able to go to an airport without seeing a vending machine without masks. Uh, I don't see a time where, you know, people are not going to be uh, uh, conscious about uh, uh, the spread of any sort of disease or virus. Uh, I just believe that this is a completely revamp and recalibration. And uh, as a nation, uh, as a world, we need to really take a look at uh, what it means. The good thing I believe that this has done is focused a lot more uh, attention on the benefits of business travel from the general aviation's perspective, that you can uh, take uh, a lot of those often uh, you know, uh, uh, enhancements that what we consider in aviation, but are now really the first choice for a lot of people in terms of uh, business travel or opportunities to interface where they need to have face-to-face -face meetings. Um, so all of these things, I think we need to take a look at it as an, as an industry, uh, as, a, uh, uh, as a government, and we need to take a look at it from a chaos perspective um, in terms of what are the policies that we're gonna be implementing internationally. Uh, so uh, to, to your original question, um, notwithstanding what's happening today in terms of the layoffs and the perspective of the CARES Act, uh, I just don't think that uh, we will have to uh, go back and have everything be normal. Now, with that in mind, I will tell you that this is also, to me, a travesty that the legislators and the decision makers in Washington, D.C. could not come up with some sort of resolve to prevent the kinds of layoffs that the airline industry is currently undertaking. Um, but at the same time, uh, do I see that if there's a CARES Act version that's passed within the next couple of weeks or before the election, uh, that those people can be called back? I'm optimistic. I, I'm the person that would tell you that yes, you know, those folks are put on, on the sort of waiting uh, mode today, uh, unfortunately. But I will also tell you that if I was a person, and I know a lot of people that are pilots and flight attendants and folks that are in that business, the reality is you got to find a way to earn a living. You got to find a way to feed your family and pay your mortgage or your rent. And you may go on and do other things to do that. And Sometimes your skill set, your technical training will not be at the same level as it would have been had they not been this you know, tragic um, opportunity to implement uh, furloughs and layoffs. You mentioned a lack of preparedness before. Can you explain some of the areas you feel that uh, the government was the least prepared or something that they really missed going into this? Well, I, I believe in terms of a planned approach to contact tracing as an initiation at the, at, at the forefront. 
I know that there was a lot of talk about, you know, uh, having the virus come across uh, the the oceans and, and coming and having a, a port of entry to, to the United States uh, in terms of New York. Um, obviously, when we prohibited, when the Trump administration prohibited flights coming from China, that's one uh, step though it certainly could have been uh, that it was taken. But then what happened? Well, there was all these exemptions for that, for American citizens, et cetera, et cetera, which I get 100% supportive of. But the other aspect of it, people just went to Europe and from Europe went over to New York. And that's how, if you basically take a look at it, we just didn't anticipate, I believe, the extent of one, the travesty of this you know, COVID-19 virus. And then at the same time, we weren't prepared to isolate people, to make exemptions, to contact trace them, to implement the kinds of, um, uh, honestly, uh, policies that we're currently implementing. I mean, there was such confusion with respect to mass, no mass. Uh, what are the benefits as it relates to that? Had we known what we know now, even back in March, and implemented the kinds of policy at the federal level, uh, I don't think that we would have had the kinds of uh, impact that this COVID-19 has had. Uh, you know, I was of, uh, I'm an alumni, obviously, of the Obama administration at the time when we were dealing with Ebola. And I will tell you, I was a part of those conversations intently and intensely at the onset when that looked as if it was coming to our shores. And we implemented things sitting around at the FAA and sitting around uh, as policymakers in Washington to prevent the kind of spread that we're talking about that COVID-19 virus has done. And uh, we did, um, you know, temperature checks, separation of people that were coming from the hotspots such as Sierra Leone. So all of the implementation that were in place, honestly, during the Bush administration and implemented in the Obama administration and continued uh, to me and, you know, not, not, not to, uh, uh, you know, cast any sort of blame, the reality were not in place and were not instituted. And we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants with respect to how we needed to address this issue. And here it is now, October, uh, and when we had thought, if you originally uh, remember that this would be over in a couple of weeks, you know, a, a month maximum, uh, we don't have a horizon uh, with respect to when this is going to be over. And in the aviation world and in the aviation industry, we're projecting 2023 before we even get back to pre-COVID-19 pandemic numbers in terms of aviation. Uh, uh, flight and passenger volume. Uh, the, I think the, the the belief and the comfort of people to, to travel uh, is going to be difficult to try to get them to come back, uh, number one. Number two, uh, business travel has completely changed the dynamics of the economics of that, uh, which is where the airlines make the most money and greatest profit. And often the business and first class passengers are the ones who are actually paying for those sitting in, in coach. And so then therefore, I think it makes it very difficult to, to get those business travelers back in airplanes uh, when they can do a meeting in a Zoom where you and I can speak completely from across the country and as a business as usual. 
uh, uh, most companies and businesses, uh, Fortune 500 companies, government businesses, when they're looking at the bottom line and what they can afford and can't afford and what makes good financial hygiene for them, uh, travel and business travel will be the first one on the chopping block. Now that the first layoffs have started to be issued, can you tell me a little bit about what this impact is going to look like for the airports? And I mean, where are they going to see more immediate hits? Well, I will tell you, you know, doing a canvassing of how uh, the pandemic and as hit airports as a business, it, it varies, right? The saying of you've seen one airport, you've seen one airport. The reality is it's the same with respect to the policies of what people are doing. Uh, uh, financially, there are airports that are okay. You know, DFW has become a great, a greater hub than it has ever been. Um, and, but then you have all of these other airports, for instance, my airport of uh, Los Angeles World Airports, the construction projects are in full force because of the CARES Act one and the $10 billion that was allocated. Uh, under the Airport Improvement Program, the AIP program, has really helped constructions at airport. And so then without the match uh, requirement at the local level that allowed them to reallocate that money to uh, making sure that the airport continues to be financially viable. But at the same time, there's a lot of businesses that are dependent upon passenger volume. If you have a maximum annual guarantee that's depending upon your food and beverage concessions, your retail, um, then those concessionaires, how are they going to pay their rent? And so people talk about forbearance. Well, forbearance isn't forgiveness. It's still a liability on one's business books. So I feel for the uh, ACDBEs, you know, the airport concession disadvantaged business enterprises. I feel for those who are in the in the in the business of food and beverage and as well as retails and concessions because they're all dependent upon passenger volume. And when there's no passenger volume to buy that water or that or that uh, magazine, then that means they're they're not working, which also means they're not making money. And so then the ripple effect economically to the greater community is even more impactful. And sadly enough, you know, this COVID-19 has been a, a real issue for minority communities in terms of the African-American community, the Latino community. And But if you've ever flown into an airport in the United States, who do you think is working those food and beverage concessions? Who's, who do you think is out in the ramps? Well, those are the folks are greatly impacted economically of not being able to go to work because of the passenger volumes not being where uh, it was pre-pandemic. So that whole notion of airports and how they're funded is dependent on passenger volume. Uh, but on the positive side, if you're actually doing construction at an airport today, this is the best time to do your construction. I will tell you, LAX and the Landside uh, uh, Modernization Program that's embarked upon as a public-private partnership between a new consolidated rent-a-car and an airport people mover, well, you're going to need to build this uh, construction while in the middle of running an airport, you know, one of the busiest airports in the world and the, the number one origination destination airport in the world. And But without the passenger volume in the normal times you have, you can build that construction faster, more effectively, and without shutting down portions of your airport because now you can. 
you don't have the kinds of challenges operationally in order to do construction at your airport. So honestly, if I was an airport and if I was an airport director, and I may have taken down the policy position to say, hey, I may not have any money to basically do this construction project, I would not have stopped the project. I would have actually said, this is the best time to do these projects because of the fact that I don't have the operational challenges and I can really shut down terminals and rebuild terminals. And I can, I can you know, redirect traffic because I don't have the kind of uh, traffic uh, uh, challenges that I would normally have under normal conditions and circumstances. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword uh, if you're in construction and if you're in that business, it's good for you, but if you're depending on passenger volume, then it's not so good for you. Um, but it will, under the circumstances, you know, the fact that there's layoffs at the airline level, and that which means that there's going to be less number of flights going in and out of your uh, airport, which means less landing fees that you can then charge to the airlines. The ripple effect of layoffs at the airlines are absolutely dramatic. Uh, if you really think about no passengers, less flights, less flight attendants and pilots to work those flights, um, there's going to be communities uh, that are not going to receive airline services because they don't, they just, you know, uh, the, the airlines just won't fly into them because it doesn't, it's not profitable. Uh, I, I used to always have a saying, uh, that says, look, whenever we're trying to increase passenger volume at a particular city, um, and those folks who have advocate for some sort of, um, you know, enhancement in order to attract uh, airlines to fly into their city. Uh, the reality is airlines don't fly into cities or airports. Airlines fly into markets. If you have the passenger volume in terms of market and they can make a buck doing it, then they will do so. Uh, and that's, that's capitalism, uh, uh, you know, uh, at work. Uh, they're they're being driven by the marketplace, and right now the marketplace is not very good. Uh, they they some of airlines obviously have taken some of the CARES Act money, have taken some of the 25 billion dollars, and but think about the strings that were attached to them. They couldn't make the kinds of uh, business decisions that other businesses uh, would have made uh, under the same circumstances if it was driven by the economy. Uh, they were flying airplanes with hardly any passengers with a full flight crew, a full flight attendant crew, um, basically for four or five passengers going across the country. That's not a way to make a living. They're losing literally millions and millions of dollars daily. And you that's unsustainable as a business and unsustainable as a system in terms of our aviation system. And that's why I, I go back and say that we must recalibrate and define the meaning and the value of aviation for us as a nation. And you spoke about the different types of layoffs and how they're going to hit different communities. Now, one of the things out there is that airlines use a lot of different contracted services and third parties, such as ground handlers. Do you anticipate the hit's going to be harder for the employees that are part of the airlines, or do you expect the third party employees to be hit worse? Again, Going back to what I know of in terms of uh, talking to uh, aviation professionals across the industry is there is no one that's spared in these types of travesty. Um, it, everything has a ripple effect. So if you're a third party provider, whether you're a vendor on the air side uh, or, or whether you're on in the terminal, 
um, when you don't have the kind of volumes uh, that you need to sustain your books, you're going to be impacted. I already know uh, that many vendors have all their contracts have been placed on hold. And some of their contracts have been terminated outright, simply because, as I indicated, you don't see a horizon with respect to when this pandemic is going to, to end. Um, there is a redirection, I think, positively, I think, for your for your uh, listeners on, on the fact that I think the GA community's business, the small fixed space operators, and those folks, I think their business will actually go up and, and improve because uh, a redefining of the, you know, what is safe to travel in, there's been a greater emphasis placed on the GA community, um, which means that if you're a vendor in that arena, you might have the opportunity to actually do better than you were before. Uh, there's a greater focus on getting a lot of fixed base uh, uh, operators to build their, their their facilities and improve upon them. Use the time that's basically have the number of volumes uh, that you didn't have pre uh, that you had pre-pandemic to then have uh, an opportunity to do the kinds of deferred maintenance or modernization or things that you need to do as it relates to the construction so that when this is over, when the horizon, and it will, it will be over, that when we come back, you come back to a bigger and better fixed base operation, fixed base operator, uh, facilities, all the things that you needed to do, uh, take the advantage to do it now. And, but on the big layoffs and the big airlines, it definitely has a trickle-down effect. Because if you have less passengers, less flight attendants, less pilots, that means less food in terms of uh, 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 drinks and things that you're basically in, and cleanup, and all the things that uh, are really an outcrop of the economy of aviation. Uh, I, I like to think of the impact of aviation from the moment that you go on Travelocity or whatever search engine that you go on to plan your trip that is an economy that's impacted because that passenger is now no longer doing that. So think about the impact of that. You're going from the internet to then making an appointment with a cab or an Uber or, or a taxi to get you to the airport. The person that's taking your bags at the curve in terms of that business and then all the way through from the water to the magazine that you didn't buy all the way through the TSA employees and all the way through to when you get to the airplane. All of those ch supply chains, in a sense, are impacted by these layoffs. So it is, it is to me, a dark day in aviation uh, uh, and an unfortunate day uh, with respect to this could have been uh, averted uh, if, if they would have somehow reached consensus and agreement uh, in Washington. Now, you mentioned the impact that's happening to the concessionaires and other airport tenants like that, and obviously that also impacts the bottom line for the airports. Do you anticipate a major sea change in the concessionaire business that's going to be serving airports? And in that, on that same token, do you expect there's going to have to be a serious look at how that money is used uh, for airports going forward? Um, I think, again, overall, there's going to be a shift. Um, in terms of redefining all of that, uh, uh, you know, during the heydays before the pandemic, everybody was doing so well. Uh, the airlines were making money. 
and really millions in the profit margin, which also meant that the concessionaires and the food and beverage and the retail passengers were going through. I mean, you can go through Atlanta and you could just see the buzz of activity and try to make your connection. And yet, you know, that entire place looks as if, you know, you name an airport, Philadelphia, you look, you, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, you, you name it. And they, they are built up like malls in that place. And, and you know that uh, investors in those businesses would not have invested the kinds of uh, infrastructure and, you know, sort of in, that they would they made if they didn't believe that there was a profit margin to be made. Clearly, aviation is a very, very uh, flourish with opportunities for business. Um, this pandemic has drastically impacted that. So I believe those same folks will have to then draw that back and say, okay, hey, how do we address this and how long can we sustain this and still be in a position of profit? I'll give you one anecdotal example, LaGuardia. So LaGuardia has a public-private partnership program that's basically re-modernized and really beautified the entire terminals. And as it relates to it, as you know, part of the deal in that is that they would get a piece of the action from the concessionaires in terms of a profit share or a, a share. Well, if you have no passengers going through and they're not buying uh, as many things that they wanted to buy, so you know the whole notion was to to encourage people to make purchases. Uh, well, then you're going to have to reconfigure your actual financial plan, your profit margin, to then figure out, okay, was that really should we have hung? our profitability on a P3 on that element of it. Concessionaires, you know, they're depending on passenger volume. As I indicated earlier, what if this is not the last pandemic? Are you willing to have enough, uh, you know, uh, worth it all as, as a business, just as you would in small business in Main Street America, to sustain the kinds of impact economically that you've suffered through in order to then write out these really dark days and so that you can wait till the, till the light shines again. Um, I don't know if a lot of those business investors would be willing to do that. Uh, yeah, so there's going to be, I think, a reshifting, a recalibration, a rethinking of how to make uh, this a profitable business. The latest proposal that's out there in the HEROES Act provides another $13.5 for airports. Do you think that's enough, or do you think they need to be looking further? Well, um, I'm just elated at the fact that aviation was included in this latest version of the HEROES Act. As if you recall, uh, some of the versions, the skinny version of the packet, didn't have any money for aviation, whether it was airlines or airports. Um, I think the administration, uh, under the leadership of Kurt Schaefer, has done an outstanding job of being, you know, I had that job before. The reality is to to issue out uh, AIP money in a two-week period of time, you're talking about $10 billion the way they did it, as much criticism that they might have gotten about getting some of the airports wrong. But that is a monumental task to done. So I pay kudos to the people in the Office of Airports at the FAA and the actual leadership as well as the, um, obviously, the career professionals at the FAA who, who, had, who made that happen in such a short period of time. Traditionally, as you recall, AIP funding is only $3.5 billion annually. And to issue that $10 billion in a two-week period of time is low. That's like, that is quite a, a task. Uh, 
13 billion is certainly a, a great number, so truly appreciated it in terms of airports. Um, but it's always been said that whether it's PFC, passenger facility chargers, or AIP, there's more infrastructure projects at the United States airports than there is available money to fund it. So I'm always of the advocate that the more is better and the trickle down effect with respect to those jobs and the people uh, that benefit from that kind of infrastructure uh, improvement in the United States uh, air system, airports, FAA, you know, all the next gen, all of those things that make the system work is a worthwhile investment because aviation is here to stay. It is not anything that's going to go away anytime soon. I think as a human nature, people are inclined to be adventurous to look for opportunities in terms of, if you think of human nature, whether it's the, the Mayans and the Aztecs, or whether uh, it was basically the folks that, you know, the, 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 the Spaniards that wanted to come across to find a new world, or whether it's the people coming from the, from the East to the West in terms of seeking opportunity, people's nature is to travel. They want to see other places they haven't seen before. Aviation contributes and is a critical part of that human nature. So it's here to stay. It's just that we have to redefine it. My last question for you, obviously some of these uh, changes are gonna be permanent. Some of them are gonna be possibly temporary, hopefully temporary for that matter. Looking ahead, what kind of shifts do you expect are probably going to be permanent in the airline industry from this at minimum, potentially a month without funding? And that being said, what do you think communities and airport leaders, for that matter, need to start thinking about right now in order to make sure they have the best facility to meet their needs for the future? The, the answer to your first part is innovation technology is going to be permanent. The, the, the ticket list um, uh, technology with respect to going on uh, airplanes, I think, will be a permanent biometric in terms of measurement of a person and whether their identity is associated with their individuals, whether it's actually eyes or whether it's fingerprints or something that allows you to have touchless technology that measures uh, you and the identity related to you. And at the same time, uh, I, I think, you know, that is connected to opportunities to more effective contact tracing should this occur again. As, as I indicated earlier, it's a new uh, way of thinking of things and recalibration. So the leadership at the local level, whether it's mayors and, and CEOs of airports, leadership at the federal level, whether it's the FAA or Department of Transportation or the, or the White House, the reality is we have to be prepared to make the kinds of investments that should this type of travesty occur again, that we have an infrastructure facility that is ready and capable to be able to address this issue in a more affirmative and direct way uh, as opposed to the way we've done it now. So, which means that, okay, the things that we were implementing in terms of cleaning, the things that we're implementing in terms of, you know, mass, no mass, all of those things that lessons learned, we need to be thinking about and then looking at our facility and say, how can we build a better airport 
so that we can minimize the kinds of impact? Do we need to implement those glass when they're checking in permanently? Do we need to have six feet social distancing permanently? What do we need to do in terms of line allocation so that there's not congregation? Uh, what, what, those are the kinds of forward thinking that I think that we need to be prepared to implement at a snap of a finger so that if something of this magnitude occurs again, the place is already either ready for it or has already been doing it. And, and I think that that's, you know, it's hard to be a fortune teller uh, in terms of what the world will look like. But what we can do is look at behind and say, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And what can we do today to make sure that it, history doesn't repeat itself? For the latest industry information and updates on federal actions, make sure to subscribe to the Airport Business Daily Newsletter. And make sure to check out our upcoming editions of Airport Business Magazine to learn best practices in handling the pandemic in the aviation industry. I'm Joe Petrie. Thanks for listening.